0: If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. As you're making your travel plans, remember to check out johnnydollarair.com. Johnny Dollar Air is a price line affiliate link, so part of the purchase price supports the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now it is time for the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar serial. The original air dates: September twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and twenty eighth, nineteen fifty six. It's the Meg's Palace Matter episodes three through five. From Hollywood, it's time now for
1: Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
2: Oh, oh, listen, it's after midnight, and I don't feel this so This is good. Tim Beasley. I want to talk to you. Oh, the old-so-very-uncooperative mayor, chief of police, and general do nothing in this town. Now, just a minute. Now, dog. you just a minute. I asked you for help this afternoon in finding out who's threatening to put Meg McCarthy in a restaurant out of business. Dollar. What do I get? A snide warning from you that the people of Cod Harbor don't want outsiders messing in their affairs. Well, I don't believe it. If you'll only listen to me, I want to help you. Then people. why weren't you here a little while ago when somebody slugged me? I was what? Who do you think picked you up in that alley and put you to bed at Meg's place? You? You want to come over here and talk to me now? I know it's late. Okay, Beasley. If my head stops spinning long enough, I'll be right over
1: tonight. And every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location, Cod Harbor, Massachusetts, to the Intercoastal Maritime and Life Insurance Company, Boston. Assignment, the Meg's Palace matter. Expense account continued. Expense account? Well, so far here in Cod Harbor, there's been little need for it. Meg McCarthy had given me a small room above a restaurant and provided all the food I could eat. My own two feet were the only means of transportation. The only shops were along the waterfront, but they were suppliers to the boats tied up at the various docks. And a motley lot of boats they were. Some were big schooners dating back to the last century and still carrying sail. There were power boats of all shapes and sorts and sizes, from 18 footers with one lung gasoline engines to big 60 and 70 foot diesel jobs. Trouble of the sort I'd come to investigate seemed out of place in this otherwise peaceful little village. Well,
1: come in, Mr. Dollar.
2: So, you've suffered a change of heart, obviously, huh, And you've decided to go up with Yeah, that's about the best way to put it, I guess. Gee, it's Oh, wait, way... wait, before we go any further. What was this bit about picking me up after I got socked on the head a while ago? Listen, Mr. Dollar, after you left here this afternoon, I got to thinking. Maybe I was wrong in giving you the back of my hand, and maybe you was right in walking out mad like you did. Well, how would you feel? The insurance company back in Hartford gets word from Meg McCarthy that somebody's threatening to burn up that joint on the waterfront she calls a restaurant. It's insured for $15,000, and she's insured for twenty-five. dollars I know, I know. Well, you see, it's this way... And when I get here, I learn that somebody has already tried a couple of times to set fire to the place. All right, all right. I learned a long time ago that in a case like this, it's smart to enlist the help of the local authorities. Here in Cod Harbor, those authorities all seem to boil down to you. Why, I will never know. Yeah, like I told you. But now, listen. And what do I get from you? The cold shoulder, the back of your hand, as you put it. I've got to explain to you, Mr. Dollar. Well, then go ahead and explain. And believe me, brother, it better be good. Well, there there probably ain't another village like this in the whole country, see? Technically, we're supposed to be part of Barnesboro, a few miles inland. But we've always left them alone, and they've always left us alone. Any trouble happens, we settle it amongst ourselves. And because we're such a small place, it's get along with everybody or get out, see? So we just don't have no trouble. Uh, Not of any account, that is. Unless it's somebody comes in from outside and makes it for us. You understand, Mr. Dollar? Are you forgetting it was one of your own townspeople who asked me to come here and for her own protection? That's what I got to thinking about after you left so I decided maybe i better talk to you. And, well, that's how I happened to go over to Meg's place tonight. Was that you I saw in the shadows out by the front door? Yes, sir. I, I was waiting for Captain Billy Morgan and his crew to finish cleaning up the place for Meg. And I was going to go in and talk to you. And that's the truth, Mr. Dollar. Go on. Well, I just got there when I heard a noise out at the side of the cafe like a fight course it was dark. There was no fight. Somebody came out the side door from behind me and knocked me on the head. Yeah, so I took you up and put you on your bed and gave you time to get your senses back and then telephone to you. Uh Uh-huh. You sure it was you out at the front of the cafe? Oh, no, Mr. Dollar. You trying to implicate maybe it was me that'd give you a belaying pin over the head? Was that what hit me, Beasley? A belaying pin? Well, well, well something hit you, and I just... Okay, uh... okay, I'll take your word it wasn't you, for the time being. I swear, Mr. Dollar, by all... All of... right, then, listen. Yeah? I heard that side door open just before I started seeing stars. Huh? Yeah? That means whoever struck me must have come from inside the cafe. Say. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The only people inside were Captain Morgan and the crew of his fishing boat. You sure? I'm sure, because I was in there myself just a minute before. Just Billy Morgan and his three men. Where was Meg? She'd gone up to bed. i just stepped outside for a breath of air. Ole? Huh? Ole Jensen, first mate. Yeah, I heard Captain Billy call one of them Ole. Well, his name's Jensen, huh? And then there's Charlie. Charlie Buttons, the deckhand, and Montgomery, the engineer. Well? No, no, not one of them could have done it. Isn't that like saying I didn't get hit? One of them must have done it. No, sir, Mr. Dollar, it just couldn't make any sense. Why, tell me this. Are any of them related to the guys who run the other cafes along the wharf? No, no. But you are, aren't you, Beasley. Huh? To Clem Harris at the silver plate, or is it the greasy plate? Anyway, he's your cousin, isn't he? Oh, I told you that. But if you think he had ah, any anything... Right now, I don't know what I think. Well, let me tell you this. If you have suffered this big change of heart, it's about time you started proving it. I'll do anything you say, Mr. Don. All right. Meg seems to think the threats and attempts to burn down her place came from her competitors. Well, I know she does, but she's... Now, in a couple of hours, I'm taking off at the fishing banks with Captain Morgan and his crew... Maybe I'll be able to spot which of his men laid me out in the alley, if it was one of them. Meantime, you see if you can dig up anything that would put a finger at the other cafe owners. That means Ernie at the manor house, Tony who runs Irving's chopped suey joint, and your cousin, Clem Harris. Okay, Mr. Dollar, I'll do it. Hey, by the way, did you ever check their handwriting against the letters Meg received? Well, no, I never quite got around to it. it... I don't think you ever got around to doing anything. <laughs> it's such an easy job. Well, do it. I get... Get the letters from Meg and check them. Yes, sir. I'm going to try to get a couple hours sleep before we take off on the Lillian. Yes, sir. The big, lazy slob. The first time I met him, he'd actually boasted about his soft job. About how nicely he could live in the town without having to lift a finger. Oh, sure, the sudden change of heart may have been genuine, but I wouldn't have bet on it. And I still had no proof it wasn't he who slugged me. And one of Meg's rival eateries was run by his cousin. But then everything indicated that whoever struck me had come from inside her own cafe. So I decided it was more important than ever that I go on the next day's fishing trip. Back in my room on the second floor of Meg's Palace, I fell asleep the minute my head hit the pillow. And I could have sworn it was only a second later that... Hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh. Who was it? What is it?
3: Time to get up and out. What do you think it is?
2: Huh? It
3: was... Who asked? You're going out with the boys. Just get them lazy bones of yours up out of that bed. Oh,
2: but it's still pitch dark.
3: Are you decent? Well, for the hour or for the ain't, time you was up. Here's the light for you.
2: Ooh. Oh, turn this thing off. Now, yeah. here's
3: some coffee. Take a sorcerer or two. It'll choke you. It's that strong, but it'll wake... <sighs> Johnny, boy. What happened to you? Oh, just what it looks like. But your head... Somebody
2: just got real friendly with a belaying pin right after you went to bed.
3: They come up here and attacked it? You...
2: No, no, it was outside. Out by the side
3: I'll door. kill whoever done that to you, Johnny Boy, so help me. I'll find out who done that. I'll... Are you sure you want to get up and go out to the banks? Maybe you. No, notice.
2: no, I'll be all right. And I think it's pretty important I go out with Captain Billy and his boys because I have a sneaking suspicion one of them may have done this.
3: Why, them dirty conniving... Oh, no, Johnny, you must be wrong. Oh. Why, don't you know, darling, that's the finest crew of men in all of Cod Harbor. I'm not so sure. But then you... You mean you think one of them could also be behind trying to burn me down? And maybe me with it?
2: You can be mighty sure I'm going to try to find out.
3: Oh, Johnny boy, I pray that you're thinking wrong... Anyhow, if you're going with them, well, up and out with you. By the time you're in your clothes, I'll have some grits on the table for you. Eggs and pork chops and donuts and jam and kids.
2: I met the crew of the Ann at that breakfast. Breakfast. Considering the amount of food set before them and the way they piled into it, you'd think those four men hadn't eaten for a month. And I must confess, there was nothing about them that looked like cause for suspicion. First, it was Charlie, a tall, brown-eyed husky young fella. Alert and pleasant, with a sense of humor, and he was obviously liked by the others.
4: I don't know, Mr. Dollar. I think you just got to dreaming about some nice, pretty gal, and when you reached out and tried to grab her, you fell out of bed, and that's the way you got banged up,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Montgomery, a bit older, the man who was responsible for the engines on the boat. Gray-haired, lean, wiry, with gnarled fingers that looked clumsy and somehow never made a clumsy move, whose blue eyes looked straight at you when he spoke.
5: Don't you believe it? And you can blow me down, Mr. Dollar, if that ain't the most dastardly thing I ever heard of here in Card Harbor. You best stick close to us, that's your friends, whilst you're here. Aye, sir. Friends of Meg McCarthy be
2: friends of us. Then Ollie Jensen, first mate, the oldest member of the crew. Quiet, calm, and efficient. The soft-spoken one.
1: Uh, It's not for me to inquire why you're here.
2: What business you're about, Mr. Dollar, and I don't. But I'm certain it's for the good. And any help that we can give you, you're welcome, sir.
5: And I say the devil
3: with all this shitter and chatter when there's fish at sea for you to catch, you lazy lockers. Get up from that table and get to work. By the time the sun's up, the fish and all be out of your reach.
2: Within a few minutes, we cast off, and the lily Anne put to sea. Slowly, the lights of the little village disappeared aft. The moon had gone down, and our only company out in the dark water was the twinkling stars and the occasional running lights from the other boats setting out for the fishing banks. Captain Billy Morgan stood at the wheel. Montgomery sat athwart the engine cover and occasionally made some slight adjustment or indicated a change of throttle to the captain. Young Charlie and Ole made ready the two small boats and trot lines, for today we'd go for codfish in the deep that lay along the edge of Taylor Banks. I stood alone up in the bows, looking over the curling wash as it scattered the myriad microscopic beings and gave a soft phosphorescent glow to the water gliding past. And I wondered, I wondered why there had to be trouble in this world, where honest labor by honest men could do so much more. Honest men? No, not even among this crew. One of them had to be the man who'd attacked me. Was probably the one who had threatened to burn Meg McCarthy out of business. So I better have at it. I'd better get back aft, talk with them, watch their every move, try somehow to trap one of them into saying something that would give them away. Or maybe, who knows, give all of them away. And above all, watch my step. There was a long way back to shore. And the darkness and the sound of the engines could all too easily cover up an untoward act by one of them. It did. Before I could lift my head, a powerful pair of arms had picked me up bodily and dropped me overside. on the In the brief moment that I remember, I felt the strong tug from the big propellers as the water closed over me. Then a terrible blow against my side. Then nothing. Johnny Dollar.
1: Dr. Lionel Champ in here, Mr. Dollar. Who? I'm surprised Meg McCarty didn't answer. I ordered her to keep you in bed there at her place until I could see you again. I
2: am in bed. And I take it you're the doctor who bandaged me up this way, put on the splint. That's right. After I tangle with the propeller at Captain Morgan's fishing boat this morning.
1: Yes, only it was yesterday. Huh? You were unconscious when the captain and his men brought you in. After treating you, I gave you sedation. Oh. Rest was the most important thing. How did you ever happen to fall off that boat?
2: Fall? Doctor, I was pushed. <laughs> From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Cod Harbor, Massachusetts, to the Intercoastal Maritime and Life Insurance Company, Boston. Assignment, the Meg's Palace Matter. Report and expense account continued. As soon as I hung up on Dr. Champion, I again checked the splint on my right leg and confirmed the suspicion that I couldn't possibly walk on it. Then, a few minutes later, Meg McCarthy came into my room. She carried a tray filled with enough food to choke a horse. And while I piled into it, she brought me up to date.
3: It's in Barnesboro that Dr. Champion has his office. And lucky it was for you, he happened to be here in Cod Harbor on his weekly visit. Oh, you were a sorry-looking mess when the men brought you in.
2: Yesterday, the doctor
3: said. You've been out as cold as a codfish ever since. But I can tell by the looks that the rest has done a lot for you. How do you feel? Well, a
2: matter of fact, Meg, I feel pretty... Oh, well, pretty good.
3: There, you see, you've got to take it easy, like the doctor said. Just lay there and rest and sleep and eat all the good food I bring you. Yeah,
2: except and unless I get up and going on this case. You'll
3: try that and I'll lash you to the bedpost. Doctor's orders is doctor's orders, so don't you try nothing different. Yes, ma'am. Oh, it's a miracle, praise be, that that propeller on the Lillian didn't cut you to ribbons.
2: Captain Billy and his crew brought me back here, huh?
3: Who else? Where are they now? Fishing out on the banks, of course. What did you expect? Don't you know they have to earn a living the same as me and you? And what about keeping up the payments on that seagoing bathtub? Precious little time they had for fishing yesterday after that fool trick you pulled falling off of her.
2: Is that what they told you happened?
3: Of course. What else?
2: Meg, which of the men told you I'd fallen off the boat?
3: Well, all of them. Only the first mate, young Charlie Montgomery, the engineer, and, of course, my Willie by his self, Captain Morgan, to you.
2: And they all told it the same way?
3: What? Why not? Should they be after making up fairy tales?
2: How did they tell it?
3: You're sure that screw didn't hit you on the head, too? You lost your memory. How did
2: they tell it, Meg? It's important.
3: Well? Whilst they went about their chores, you were standing alone up in the bows. Then they heard you yell. Yeah? Despite of the darkness, they seen you splash in the phosphorescent wake. And there you were, being sucked under by the prop. That's all.
2: And they all told it the same?
3: Exactly the same. Even young Charlie Buttons kept saying it over and over. I saw it. I saw it all. Oh. Like, well, you know... Like he was still struck with the fear of what might have happened to you. I wonder. Well, stop wondering and get yourself some more sleep, or the doctor will have me head. And if he does, I'll take it out on you. And believe me, Johnny Boy, that will be a lot worse than the fool accident of yours ever was. Meg,
2: listen to me. It was no accident. What? I was thrown overboard.
3: Oh. Oh, Johnny, boy, you're raven, delirious, out of your head. I was
2: leaning over the rail, watching the water, and a powerful pair of arms belonging to somebody aboard that boat picked me up and tossed me over.
3: Saints? Who?
2: Ole Jensen, young Charlie Buttons, Montgomery, or Captain Billy himself.
3: you start raving, Johnny. You must have got hit on the head.
2: And I'll bet my last buck that whoever did it is the same one who slugged me in the alley, the same one who's threatened to burn you out of this place of Oh, yours.
3: no, And the minute Johnny. I
2: get up out of this bed, I... Tell me something. Yes? Tim Beasley, your police chief and mayor and so on. Yes? Has he been up here to see you?
3: That good for nothing, Blathersky to know. And what's more, if he shows his ugly face in my establishment, I'll toss him out and his beam ends. But why do you ask?
2: Because I told him to get the threatening notes from you, checked them against the handwriting of several people here in Cod Harbor.
3: Who? Like that sniveling cousin of his, Clem Harris, that runs the Silver Plate Cafe? Yeah, among others. Well, he ain't been here, and I won't have him here.
2: I take it you and he don't get along?
3: Of course we don't. Why? Because ever since his cousin Clem has been in business, Tim has threatened to close me up. For what reason? For breaking town ordinances on restaurants, the kind he enforces over to Barnesboro.
2: Well, have you been breaking them?
3: No more than no less than dear cousin Clem or Tony 14 or Ernie Turner does after their harsh joints. But me, he always is picking on, and why? Because I get most of the business from the fishermen. So you want a suspect in this case, Johnny Boy?
2: You've named them for me, Meg, the other cafe owners.
3: All right, so I'll give you one. Tim Beasley and Clem Harris working in cahoots. And if it wasn't one of them, lady in the alley...
2: Oh, wait a minute. Neither of them could have been aboard the Lillian.
3: Then you must have fell.
2: Oh, Meg, when is the doctor coming to see me?
3: Mm, he should be here by now.
2: Well, if he doesn't come pretty soon, I'm getting up and going. Orderers or no orders. Johnny? Motives, suspects... Why, Meg McCarthy herself could have rigged this whole thing, called me in as a cover-up while she burned up her place to collect 15,000 insurance. Even her intended, Captain Billy Morgan, who'd collect her life insurance if she were to die in a fire. Tim Beasley, lazy slob of a general factotum in Cod Harbor, to put Meg's palace out of business on behalf of his cousin, Clem Harris, or Clem himself, or one of Captain Billy's crew for some reason I hadn't yet fathomed. Half an hour later, Dr. Champion arrived, looked me over, and then went to work with a pair of bandage shears.
1: So now we'll take off that splint. Oh, but if something's broken, Doc... (laughs) Not a thing broken, Mr. Dollar. Just an old trick of mine. Huh? You needed absolute rest until I could see you again. And from what I've heard about you, you wouldn't have taken it unless I fooled you into it. And that was the sole reason for the splint. (laughs) Doc, you're a wonder. (laughs) There we are. And in view of your surprisingly good condition, I'd say you may be up and around as soon as you honestly feel able. Say, even tomorrow, perhaps.
2: Item 8, $10 for medical services. All the doctor champion would accept. Needless to say, as soon as he left, I planned to get up and get to work. But as he walked out the door, Meg brought Captain Billy in to visit and sympathize. So, in hope of keeping him off guard, I played real sick. Then only a Montgomery came in, too. But I needed to get these men alone, and I must admit, be feeling better than I did. Then I realized that young Charlie hadn't come. I asked about him.
3: To Burnsboro, Johnny. He said, as long as the doctor was keeping you in bed two or three days, he could see you when he gets back.
2: But wait a minute. Uh, He
5: went to pick up some supplies for Meg here, like he always does. Uh, Gives him a chance to drop in on his sister, where he keeps his Sunday clothes and things.
2: He wasn't out on the boat with you today.
5: Ah. Meg spoils a lad that way, always has him going in for supplies when I need him the most. Oh,
3: look here now, Willie boy. You talk like I was the one picked today Well, of course a... you did, of you Of course I didn't, and don't you tell me. He said it was you. That you're off your course, to... Mr. Oh, oh I McCarthy. am, You ma'am. know Blasted And well don't, don't you are. shake your finger at me, you blue piped you pipe down, woman. Do you want Mr. Dollar to boy, have a relapse? you... Oh, Johnny boy. I'm sorry. Shut up, Bill. ha. <laughs>
2: It's okay, Meg.
5: And do it, well, boy. That...
3: I'm sorry if I seem to be raising my voice at you.
5: Oh, bless you, Meg. It's that fiery spirit that keeps me loving you. Yeah, but now, uh, why don't we leave the poor man alone to recover, huh? Come on, boys. Yes, come
3: on. I love you. Out you go.
5: After you, Meg. Oh,
3: After you. how polite we are. Montgomery,
2: wait. Hi, oh, Mr. Donner. Something I can do for you to ease your bed of pain? A little drink or something? i a bottle aboard the Lily Ann. No, no, thanks. I want to talk to you about Charlie. A real fine lad he is. I'm sure he would be wanting to see you when he gets back from his visit in town. No, no, wait. Uh, Captain Morgan said he has a sister in Barnesborough. Do you know the address? Oh, that I, I do. <laughs> Many's a fine meal we've had from her on our time off. Well, I want to see her. You know, just a little personal thing. Oh, then, here, I'll write down the address for you. She lives in a pretty little house on the
5: corner of Rowland. Rev- <laughs>
2: Maybe Montgomery was the wrong one to ask, I don't know. But I had to gamble somewhere along the line. And if my suspicions about Charlie Buttons was right, I hoped I wouldn't be too late. When Montgomery had left, I sneaked out the back door to avoid Meg and hurried over to Tim Beasley's office in the shack that functioned as Cod Harbor City Hall. He wasn't there. A woman who lived next door informed me he'd taken off in a hurry to Barnesboro. So Beasley had gone to town after Charlie. Or had he? For $25, that's item nine, I rented a creaky old truck and headed for Barnesville. Charlie's sister's house was on a gravel road out on the edge of town. There was no other car there, so I stopped in front of the place. Got out and walked up to the front door.
4: Sorry, mister, but my sister... Mr. Dollar. Hello,
2: Charlie.
4: Yeah, I... I meant to say, why didn't you come in? Sure glad to see you're all right, Mr. Dollar. I am. That sure was awful. You're falling off the boat that way. What's the matter,
2: Charlie? Aren't you feeling good? Yeah, sure. Sure I am. You look a little pale. And say... Well, well... Packing up to leave, huh?
4: Yeah, I... Well, I'm tired of the fishing business, Mr. Dollar. Gonna give it up. Go somewhere else to earn a living.
2: Tired of it, yeah. Why did you do it, Charlie? Huh? I... I don't know what you mean. It took somebody who knew that boat pretty well to sneak up on me in the dark and push me overboard. Took a strong, young pair of arms to do it, too.
4: Yours, weren't they? Well... Didn't want to do it, Mr. Dollar. So help me, I didn't want to. But he made me. Yeah? Who made you? He found out. He he found out about me, about my record. What record? That that I'd killed a man once, accidentally, when I was just a kid. And I'd run out and escaped from the reformatory. Look, now I'm grown. If they ever catch me, they'll hang me or the electric chair up for life. And he knew that. Charlie. If I didn't do anything he said, like slugging you or trying to start the fires or anything, he'd give me away. So I had to, don't you see? I couldn't help myself. He made me do everything. Charlie who, Charlie who? It's all right. You don't need to rough me up, darling. I knew I'd get caught up with someday. I'll go quiet with you. And maybe, maybe you'll help the. To try and get things easy for me? Charlie, who made you try to kill me? Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you. It was so he could get you out of the way and burn up Meg's palace and her with it. I'll tell you, Mr. Dollar, it was... Oh, no. Huh? There. At the window. Behind you. That old trick.
2: Oh, no, you... Help! The boy fell against me, pinning me to the floor. And as I pushed him away, I saw the patch of red slowly spreading on the front of his shirt directly above the heart. By the time I got to the window, a car had taken off down the old gravel road and was completely obscured by a thick cloud of dust. And I wondered. I wondered for whom the shot that killed Charlie had really been intended.
1: This is Chief Walters, Barnesboro Police. You call me? Oh, yeah, Chief. I understand you're out at Sally Button's place on the edge of town. What can I do for you? Better get out of here, Chief, fast. Oh? Yeah,
2: to pick up a body. <laughs> <laughs> From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Cod Harbor, Massachusetts to the Intercoastal Maritime and Life Insurance Company, Boston. Assignment, the Meg's Palace matter. Report and expense account continued. Whoever shot young Charlie Buttons there at his sister's home in Barnesboro had disappeared down the gravel road in a cloud of dust. Hence the call to the police. Chief Walters was in his late 30s and definitely on the ball. He made a quick call to the coroner and then in his car we took off for Cod Harbor.
1: We pretty much left them alone over there in Cart Harbor, Mr. Dollar,
2: and so far they've always managed to keep the peace. This time... Yeah. Now listen, Chief, and I'll give it to you fast. Yes, do that. Meg McCarthy got some threats to burn her place down, notified the insurance company. They sent me out. Understandable. First night there, I spotted a prowler around the cafe, but before I could get to him, somebody slugged me from behind. You didn't know who? Not then, but the prowler turned out to be Tim Beasley, your, well, your deputy over there, I guess you call him. You know, sort of. You know, self-appointed. Lazy lot. But didn't he know who slugged you? He said not. It was Meg herself there? She has
1: a powerful right dollar.
2: Yeah, I thought of that too, but let me go on now. The next morning I went out on the Lily Ann got tossed overboard. And believe me, Chief, the propeller on one of those boats isn't much fun to tangle with. Yes, Dr. Champion told me he'd had to go over to fix you up. Yeah. Anyhow, I was sure that whoever was after me was a member of that crew. Had to be. I see. When I came to back at Meg's, I had visitors. The crew, loaded with sympathy. The crew, that is, except for Charlie Buttons. And that's why you traced him to his sister's house? Uh Uh-huh. And, Chief, he confessed. Then I don't understand. But he said he was forced to do those things by somebody who knew of his criminal record and was holding it over his head. Criminal record? Charlie Buttons? Yeah, it seems he killed a man once when he was just a kid. The point is, this other person threatened to expose Charlie unless Charlie did his bidding. So Charlie, not being very bright, didn't think he had a chance. You find out who this other person is? No. That's when somebody shoved a gun through the window and back him. He shot him, then took off in the proverbial cloud of dust. Mm. How are you doing on suspects? Oh, brother, too many. Meg, of course, named her rivals in the cafe business right from the beginning. Well, I wouldn't count them very good suspects. Uh, Then there's Captain Billy Morgan, her intended husband. <laughs> what a pair. And if I know Captain Billy, he was just scrounging a lot of free meals. Say, incidentally, I saw him in Barnesburg just before you called. Ah, uh, well, Captain Billy is beneficiary of makes life policy. And he still owes a lot of dough in the Lily Ann. I understand. Hmm. Who else? Tim Beasley. What? Yeah. No. Look, Dollar, I know he's a good-for-nothing bum who's taken that job of acting mayor, acting police chief, acting everything else so he can live off the fat of the land over there. But... Did you also know that Clem Harris, who runs the other big cafe, is his cousin? His cousin, huh? Oh, and Beasley never kept his promise to dig up the threatening notes Meg received and compare them with the handwriting of the others. Doesn't look good, does it? What do you think, Chief? I'm beginning to wonder if Tim Beasley will be there when we get to Cod Harbor. As it turned out, Tim Beasley was very much in evidence. So was the whole population of Cod Harbor. For as the lights of the little fishing village slowly hove into view, I saw another light down by the waterfront. A rather, a big reddish glow. And as we pulled in closer, we could see the long tongues of flame leaping upward that caused it. Yep, Meg's palace was on fire. Chief Walters stepped on it. We took the last few turns on two wheels. Hoses of all sorts and shapes and sizes connected to pumps aboard the nearby fishing boats were throwing powerful streams of water at Meg's palace. At the back where the fire had apparently started. But the flames continued to spread, even licking along the ground behind the building.
1: That means arson, Johnny. Oil and gasoline spreading around
2: back there. No doubt of it, Chief. How'd it start, Captain
5: Billy? Who knows? But we'll grab a hose and get to work. Get
2: some hose off one of them boats.
5: Montgomery, you crazy boy! Captain
2: back. Billy Morgan was running the show, and every one of my prized suspects was in there working his head off. All of them taking orders from Captain Billy. And then I realized that Mick McCarthy was nowhere around, and I noticed something else. All the firefighting was directed toward the back of the building. The front, thanks to the wind, was untouched. But that's where Mick McCarthy's room was. Chief! Chief Wallace! Hey, Johnny, where are you going? Come on, Chief, give me a hand. What? See that window up there? And well, I'm gonna climb up on the front roof of the place. You'll burn to a crisp up there. Gotta take that chance, because I think I can blow this whole case wide open. Now, clench your hands so I can step on them, It'll hoist me up. But even right here, the heat come is on, too bad. man, quick, come on! Okay, Johnny,
1: but I think you're crazy. Here you are. Up now, up! Here you go!
2: The heat was almost unbearable up on that roof. I knew I had to do it. I crawled low along the shingles, hoping the rotten old roof would hold. And a withering blast, that felt like fire itself hit me full in the face as I broke the window of Meg's room. And there she lay, stretched out, unconscious on her bed. There was an ugly, livid mark across her forehead where somebody had struck her down, then left her there at the mercy of the fire.
1: Johnny! Valerie, all right? The
2: searing heat seemed to press in on me and engulf me. And the open window gave a draft to the flames that were already licking at the sides of the open door. Somehow I managed to wrap a blanket around Meg, covering her face and staggered at the window, blindly groping for it. Johnny!
1: This way, the window! Keep that hose on us here! All right, Johnny.
2: You're all right now, I got you. It's all right, boy. It's all right.
3: It's all right, Johnny boy. Outside of having your hair singed and losing a suit of clothes, you're all okay. Well,
2: thank goodness you are, Meg. But tell me.
3: Oh, oh now take it easy. You got a bad burn on that left arm, and you got to lie still. Yeah. And would Meg... you believe it, it was Clem Harris, the one I always thought was such an no old good blatherskite, that gave us each a place to stay here at his house.
2: I wondered where I was when I came to a few minutes
3: ago. I, I guess I misjudged the man.
2: But how about you, Maggie? Oh,
3: bless you, darling. You saved me life, and I'll never forget it. May the good Lord strike me down. But hadn't it hadn't been for you. Oh, think of it, Johnny Boy. I'd be laying still in that pile of ashes out there that was once my nice cafe. I love you, Johnny Boy, and I'm humble and I'm grateful. Meg,
2: that mark on your head... Ha!
3: The dirty, blathering, sparpin who snuck up in my room and knocked me down and left me there. I'll murderize him when I find him, that dirty cunard. You on. don't know who it was? How could I when he snuck up from behind him? Oh, Chief just come in, sir, come in.
2: Well, I must say, you two look pretty good, considering. Ready for a visitor, Johnny? Yeah, Chief.
3: Bring him in. Oh, now, Johnny, are you sure you want visitors until you're feeling better? Bring him in, boys.
1: Right in here. Come uh, stop your pushing.
3: Come on, Why, here. Billy boy? Oh, what's the matter with you, Willie? That look on your face. Oh, and you, Chief Waters. What was the idea of locking up my Willie boy like some dirty scoundrel of a crook when he tried so hard to save my cafe from that awful fire? Who do you think All you are? All right, it's, Meg,
1: simmer down. Don't simmer you talk down. to me like
3: that, you young Meg. whisker yeah. snap. Oh, yes,
1: darling.
5: Well, I won't simmer down. What was a big idea arresting me that way? Who do you think you are around here? And I'm talking to you, Dollar.
2: You went too far, Captain Billy. I
5: went too far. You're off your course. What are you talking about? Yes,
3: Johnny Boy, if you was responsible... Quiet, we're... Meg. Uh, yes, sir.
2: I'm talking about arson, Captain Billy. And murder. And the motives behind them. What? Motives. They were all over the place by half a dozen people. But yours was the strongest. By far. You're off your head. The 25000 insurance on Meg's life. That was the. Why, you.
5: Let me out of here. No, that. just
3: put it You take I'll your hand take off me. Take it off easy, Meg,
2: or I'll have to order you out. But
3: listen, what he's saying is that Captain Quiet. Billy was. Quiet! Quiet!
2: Sh- yeah, let me finish this, will you, Meg? Played lover boy to her, didn't you, Captain Billy? To make sure you'd be her beneficiary. You're
5: crazy. You're dirty.
2: It looked like you right from the first, but I couldn't be sure until I compared the writing on the threatening letters with some of your handwriting I found.
5: Oh, no. So that's the way you found out, you dirty underhand. Yeah, Captain, that's right.
2: Threatening letters. To make it look like somebody else was out to get her. Her competitors, for instance. And to leave the way clear for you.
3: Willie bo. No,
2: no, I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't mean to.
3: But... Oh, no, Willie. Tell me it ain't true. Don't touch me. Oh.
5: Why, Billy? Why'd you do it? I had to. I had to have the money or I'd lose my What?
3: Po- you mean your boat was more to you Go than... Go on,
5: Billy, and quiet, Meg. Fishing. Fishing was my whole life. I had to save my boat. I had to get the money for it. How else could you I are ever? You No, you,
3: I don't know, Johnny boy. Maybe I'll move to someplace else and open up. I wouldn't have the heart to hear. Cod Harbor, it'd be too. It was here that I met him and I believed him. And, well, I guess this old heart of mine wasn't as tough as I thought it was.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry, Meg.
3: I'll get over it. Sure I will. Meg McCarthy, Johnny Dollar. No blathering idiot of a man is going to keep Meg McCarthy down. That's the... You hear stuff. me? No man on this whole earth is worth it. They're all of them, just a bunch of no good too tight. Oh, no. No, Johnny Boy, not you. If only there was more of the likes of you in the world. I love you, Johnny Boy. And if I were a bit younger and maybe pretty... Johnny. Yeah? Now, tell me. Where did you ever get the threat letters you compared the writing of? I'd have swore that I destroyed them. Every one.
2: <laughs> know something, Meg? I didn't. Huh? I never saw them. Never saw a sample of Captain Billy Morgan's writing, either.
3: You mean you... Oh, no. Huh?
2: Well, it worked, didn't it?
3: Aye. And it serves that conniving murder and blather in. Johnny, I'm afraid I really did love him.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it had been a long shot, and thank goodness it had paid off. The courts will take care of Captain Billy. The insurance on her place, of course, will have to be paid to Bank McCarthy. But no life insurance, thank heaven... Oh, poor Meg. It'll be a long, long time before she'll fall for sweet talk again. Expense account totaled, including fare and incidentals, back to Hartford, $221.60. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week? Well, they say that
2: diamonds are a girl's best friend. But I wonder when they're a motive for murder. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar starring Bob Bailey is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian, Byron Kane, Forrest Lewis, Burt Holland, Stan Jones, Bob Bruce, Austin Green, and Harry Bartell. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
0: Welcome back. Poor Johnny really took some punishment, this serial. He was knocked out at the end of episode two, pushed overboard in episode three, and then lost consciousness again in episode five. There are supposedly Bob and Ray comedy sketches, though I've never heard this particular one, in which a Johnny Dollar parody gets beat up until quitting. As I've said, I've never heard that episode, but if it exists, I can't help but feel this serial might have been an inspiration. While Johnny's snaring of Captain Billy was a trick ending and ultimately a guest by Johnny, it was an educated guest. We were given a lot of suspects, most of which didn't appear on radio, but really the facts pointed to Captain Billy, particularly in the aftermath of Charlie's shooting. Even though in his, uh, his uh, very extended dragging out giving the exact name of who masterminded it, it's really hard to imagine anyone in town being able to have that sort of hold over Charlie. And if it comes down to Captain Billy or his crew, and it has to, then Captain Billy is a safe bet, because none of the others had sufficient motive. Speaking of motives, I did like that Tim Beasley turned out not to have anything to do with it. Sometimes someone is just acting suspicious because they're lazy and leeching off everyone else, and it doesn't go any deeper than that. Of course, the serial ultimately comes down to Meg. And I think, depending on how you feel about her as a character, will determine what you think of it. I love her feistiness, but uh, there's also a lot of genuineness and caring in that character. The friendship between her and Johnny is sweet. And Johnny comforting Meg at the end is just... A very wholesome scene that reflects the sort of humanity that Bob Bailey brought to the role of Johnny Dollar. I also couldn't help but feel for her at the end when she found out the truth about Captain Billy. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we go over to YouTube for comments from Ronser regarding the confidential matter. This is another great serial. The role is becoming Bob Bailey's more and more as we progress. It's great to see. Solar 2607 writes, This is ideal when I want to lie down and close my eyes. It's great entertainment. Thank you. Then I have an email from Derek who writes, I started listening to the great detectives when Evan O'Brien was Johnny Dollar. And in my opinion, no one else could do as good. But these five-part episodes of Bob Bailey have brought so much more depth and emotion. Not just cool, tough Johnny, who all the women fall for. He is definitely my new goat, greatest of all time. Uh, thanks for all you do. Well, thank you so much, Derek. And then we have one more comment. Uh, this from our listener, Irve. Jeremy writes... Great content. Well, thank you so much. And he's writing in from Germany, so I appreciate uh, you listening from over there. All right, well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to thank Lori. Lori has been one of our Patreon supporters since April 2020, currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things that helps the channel to grow. We will be back on Tuesday to start another Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... George. That forty-five is that the only gun in the household?
3: Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Has, has anything happened that you're not telling me about?
1: No, ma'am. Just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty five, O, if you don't mind.
3: Maybe I should tell you. We we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present.
1: May we see it, please?
3: Well, Yes. Will, will you have to
1: unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. Oh. I
3: think I can reach it. We... We had to hide it. Now, let me see. Here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card and the box the gun came in. The rifle.
1: Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Joe?
0: 22 caliber.